Well, good morning. It's great to have you here today. Uh, last weekend, you saw in that little video, it's a pretty crazy, crazy weekend. Uh, but it was a good weekend. We had around 1,200 people here on campus. And if you do the math on that, that meant it was pretty crammed in here. So thank you for uh, inviting friends. It was a great weekend. Uh, Pastor Aaron and, and a, a couple of staff members are are. are out and about this weekend, checking out some other ministries. And so Pastor Aaron will be back this weekend. My name is Ryan Coggins. I'm one of the staff pastors here today. I'm honored. Uh, it's a privilege for me to speak to you today. I want to tell you about a time that I was uh, in high school. And I, I think I was either a sophomore, maybe a junior in high school. And uh, a few of my friends, we were hanging out at one of our friends' house. And uh, we were in the basement, I don't, playing games, playing video games, watching movies. I don't even know what we were doing. But something caused me and uh, one of my friends to sprint upstairs, and we were running to go outside. Again, I tried to remember what the scenario was. I don't even know. But we were running outside, and it was the middle of the summer, so the front door was open. Now, I was this little tiny 5'9", 110-pound little twerp, and, and the, the guy behind me, one of my best friends, is like 6'4", 250, big guy. And so I'm running towards the front door. He's running right behind me, full speed. I see that the front door is wide open. It's the middle of summer. And when I get about five feet from the front door, I realize that there's a screen door right there. And which is ridiculous that I didn't even see it. He'd even have one of those little white, you know, crossbar type things, but I just didn't even see it. So it's, it, I have a split second to make a decision on what to do. I go like I'm going to open, you know, the, the, I try to push the little button in. It, does, it sticks, it does not push in, and I have major problems. I think I probably could have stopped in time, and my little 110 pound frame wouldn't have gone through that. But my friend uh, caused so much uh, kinetic energy behind me that it kind of just pushed right through me, busted down the entire door, took it off the frames, off the hinges. There's a pile of twisted metal and, and screen laying on the front porch. We're both laying out there on the front porch like, what just happened? We're laughing about it, trying not to cry about it because it, it did not feel good at all. Then, then the thoughts are going on, you know, uh, what, do we, what do we tell this, this person's dad? Like, hey, we just busted down your front door. Long story short, we ended up uh, having to mow lawn for the entire summer just to kind of repay, um, which I don't know if that was a good deal for us or not. I probably would have been better off just paying the guy for his front door. But um, that day I learned in a, a very important lesson in opening and closing doors, and you better believe I'll be checking to make sure before I run towards a door that you know I know how to open it first. And this, this series that we're talking about, Doors, uh, this whole thing that we're going to be talking about is opening and closing the right doors in your life. And Pastor Aaron last weekend talked about the most important door that you'll ever walk through. It's, it's Jesus is the door. And if anyone will walk through that door and accept them into their life, they can have just an unbelievably awesome life, eternal life, just a, a, a peaceful, joyful life that the Bible talks about. And there was over 20 people that made a decision last weekend to walk through that door uh, which is absolutely incredible, and it was, it was just awesome to see uh, those people make those deci decisions for Christ. But today I want to talk to you about not, not opening a door, but, but closing a door. And this is not a popular subject. Uh, this is a subject that is somewhat um, controversial. People are going to have their own opinions about this, and a lot of times it's your opinion based on experience than on God's Word. And today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what God's Word has to say about this subject. 56% of all divorces 
happen because of the subject that we're going to talk about. Um, I would think that it's a pretty important thing that we need to talk about today. Me talking about closing the door to debt in your life. Now, I say the word debt, and there's three types of people in here. There's the first group of people that you literally cringe when you hear the word debt, and you're wishing you did not show up for church today. Well, the doors are locked, and you're here now. No, I'm just kidding, but... Uh, <laughs> But you literally, it's something that you don't want to talk about. It's something that you don't want to hear about. You, you, you flip on the radio or the TV and you hear the phrase debt settlement or debt consolidation. You know, those little gimmicky type commercials or whatever. Settle your debt for pennies on the dollar and all these types of things. And you literally want to turn the channel because you're like, I just don't want to hear about it. I am up to here in debt. I know that it's a problem. I know that it's a big issue. I know that I lose sleep over this. I know that I'm stressed out by this, but I'd rather just not talk about it. I'd rather not deal with it. I don't even know where to begin. And I'd venture to say there's a, probably a decent amount of people in, in this room that you're kind of in that spot, whether people know it or they don't. A lot of times people don't even know that you're in that position. And if you're in that spot today, I, I hope to bring you a whole lot of hope. I hope to show you that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that God is so much bigger than your debt that God cares so much about your financial situation that he does not want you to have to live enslaved to debt. So I hope to encourage you today. There's a second group of people that you have some debt. Uh, maybe you have you know, a car loan or maybe you have a school loan that you're still kind of chipping away at, but you don't have a ton of it and you're kinda, you kind of have a plan in place and you, you know that it's an issue, but it's not something that you're all that stressed out about. You kind of, you kind of know what you're doing with it. And today, if you're in that position, I want to encourage you and I want to spur you on to pay off that debt as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, if you, if you treat debt like a, like a financial cancer, which is what I believe that it is, uh, if, if, if a doctor told you, okay, Ryan, you have cancer, I'm not going to just tell the doctor, okay, well, I'm just going to start eating right and I'm going to exercise a little bit more and I'm just going to kind of get my body into shape and all that. And uh, my body will kind of just fight this off over time if I just kind of eat right and do the right things. No, no, no. You would, you would, you would do, I would aggressively try to treat it. I would go to wherever, if I have to go to San Diego to get a special treatment, if I have, whatever I have to do, let's get rid of it once and for all right now and be done with it and hope that it does not come back, that it is done and today, if you're in that position where you just have some debt, I want to encourage you, spur you on, pay it off. Get it out of your, out of your financial situation immediately. And then there's a, a last group of people, and uh, studies show that this is probably only 10 to 20% of people in this room, uh, that you don't have any debt. Uh, you, you know, you don't have any consumer debt. I'm not, and just to clarify... Uh, I'm not so much talking about a mortgage today. We could talk all about how it's you know, an appreciable asset and, and, and there's different people that are going to have different views on that. But I'm talking about consumer debt. I'm talking about uh, things that are, are hampering your lifestyle and you're not able to live in the fullness that God's called you to live. There's some people that you don't have any debt. You don't have any. Maybe you used to be in debt, but now you're out of debt, and you had just some awesome uh, story of how uh, God just kind of helped you through that, and you, you took a lot of hard work, a lot of energy, but now you are out of debt once and for all, and you never want to go back. I've never met anyone that got out of debt and said, I, you know, I wouldn't mind just slipping right back into that lifestyle. You know, you're out of that debt, you're out of that lifestyle, and, and you're better because of it. And if you are in that uh, group of people, I want to encourage you too. I want to let you know, keep living that way. 
And also, if you are in that boat, you might be able to share some things with people who are on the other side of that door, who have not closed the door to debt yet, uh, that you can help them. You can give them some advice. This is what I did. Let me help you along. Let me, let me show you some tips, some things that you can do to eradicate that debt as quickly as possible. But I don't think anyone here would argue that debt is, is a major problem, and it's kind of one of those elephant-in-the-room type topics that a lot of people would just rather not deal with. The average American spends $1.22 for every dollar that they make. Okay, I don't have to draw you any pictures or show you a graph to show that that is a problem. You have to, you know, line graph, the lines are going in opposite directions, that that gap is going to become bigger and bigger and bigger over time, and that is a major problem, people not living within their means. Uh, 24% of young American families' income goes to pay debt. So a quarter of everything young families make goes to just pay back debt, not including a mortgage. It's a major problem. Uh, it, it, it's a major issue. And I want to talk to you about what God's Word has to say about it. Now, one thing that I have not been able to find in Scripture is that having debt is a sin. I don't think it's that black and white. But what the Bible does talk a lot about is how debt leads to sin. And there are many places where people that, as a res- because of debt in their life, they, they fall into the trap of sin. They're more, more vulnerable to that because of it. And, and, and to put it bluntly, this is kind of the crux of everything I'm going to say today. In Proverbs 22, 7, this is what, this, this is, I believe this is God's view on debt, and it's real simple. It says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. I believe God does not want you to have to serve anyone else but him. Uh, I believe the Bible makes that pretty clear, that you will have no other gods before God, before the God, the one and true God. And there's many people that I, I believe are not able to fully serve God. Yeah, you might go to church, you might be a good Christian, you might, you know, you might be doing the right things, but I don't believe you, you know, the Bible says clearly you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. And I want to help you today. How, do you, how are you able to serve God with all of your heart so you're not serving anything else? And I believe that's what debt has the power to do, to take your eyes off of Jesus and to put it onto something else. So today I want to talk to you about two things. I'm a simple guy. I'm going to just give you two things today. I'm going to talk to you about how to open the door to debt and how to close the door to debt. I don't know if you can truly understand how to close the door on debt until you uh, realize how did you open it in the first place. And just so you know, you might be thinking, how old is this guy anyway? I know I'm young. I know that I don't have it all figured out. I know that there's people in this room that have much uh, better financial head on their shoulders than I do. But I want to bring you right back to God's Word and show you exactly what God's Word says about debt. So we're going to bounce around a a few different scriptures today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can actually open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 28. But I want to talk to you about a few, way, uh, a few attitudes that lead to opening the door on debt. And I think a lot of you are going to be able to relate to these. The first attitude is this. I can afford it later, so I'll buy it now. If you're taking notes, this is on the back side of your bulletin. I can afford it later, so I will buy it now. I can afford it later, so I'll buy it now. Uh, Israel in the Old Testament was very much, I mean, this was God's chosen country. This was a country, uh, they refer to it as the promised land. And all throughout the Old Testament, uh, time and time again, God is trying to, uh, you know, he wants other nations to see the people of Israel that they are living this blessed life. Not this extravagant life, but this blessed life. And he wants other countries to see 
the, the lifestyle of Israel and see how blessed their life is, that they want to, they start asking questions, I want to know who the God is that they serve. They just seem to have this blessed life. I want to know the God that they serve. And here's one of the blessings that God talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. It says this, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in, in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Now get this, it says, You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. One of the, the signs of, of Israel having the blessing of God on them is that they would never have to borrow from other nations. That, that was a blessing from God. I believe God views debt as something that something's not quite right. Now, I'm not talking about some big sin issue. Don't overanalyze what I'm trying to say today, but something's not quite right. That, that person's not living the blessed life that I've called them to live. And I understand there's extenuating circumstances sometimes and there's emergencies and, and, and so don't try to, uh, you know, mi mi misrepresent what I'm trying to say. But God very much sees debt as something that is just not quite right. And today in our, our day and age, we don't see debt as something that something's wrong. We see it as a way to cover up stuff. We, we see it as a way to elevate our, our, our standard of living to this level so we appear to have it all together. It used to not be that way. Anyone remember something called layaway? Okay, <laughs> where you would pay for something, you would make payments, and then after you made that final payment, it's an exciting day, you get to bring that brand new washing machine home, brand, brand new couch home, whatever it is that you bought on layaway, and it was brand new, and it's in your living room, looks awesome, it's great. Today, we do it like almost the exact opposite of that a lot of times. They have these little tempting, uh, you know, no percent interest for two years, 36 months, all these, you know, types of things, and sometimes those not here to speak against all of that, but uh, these little uh, no interest type things. And so you make your final payment on this item. And by the time you make your final payment, you don't even know where it is anymore. You know, you sold it in a garage sale years ago. It's down in the basement. It's busted. It makes your washing machine doesn't even work anymore. It's collecting dust. It's the exact opposite that, that I, I believe it used to be. And, and, and the way that God uh, sees it is how it, how it should be. Today, debt is a major, major issue because of this attitude that I, I can afford it later, so I will buy it now. You see this, um, I see this a lot, to be honest with you, with college students, and I don't mean to pick on you if you're in college. I'm not too far removed from college, but I'd have a lot of friends in college that, man, they would just rack up the debt in college. And I'm not, I think school, I think school is a good investment, so don't uh, you know, I've, uh, you know, if you take out a school loan to go through school, it, that, that's a good investment. You could argue that that's an appreciable asset, just as a mortgage is. But I would see friends uh, that they would take out all these loans, pay for everything, uh, you know, with with school loans. Um, I even kn knew some that would take credits and then drop the classes so that they could actually get the money and some little loophole in their financial aid system or whatever. Don't get any ideas if you're in college here today. Uh, but they would spend. Uh, they spend all their money on credit cards. They would not chip away at it at all. I mean, 80% of graduating seniors have credit card debt, not to mention a mountain of, of college loans most of the time. And they would never chip away at it. Not, not, not in all the cases, but in many cases, they would not be chipping away at their debt while they're in college. And so they graduate and say, oh, well, someday I will get a good job. And, you know, maybe when I'm a little bit older, I'll get a good enough job that I can pay this off. It's no big deal or whatever. And they would have this very, this attitude that says, I can pay for it later, or I can, I, I can afford it later, so I will buy it now type attitude. It gets a lot of people 
into a whole lot of trouble. And I want to tell you, just a little side note, if you are in college, I want to encourage you, chip away at your debt right now. I believe that you can go through college without taking out a school loan if you do it, uh, if you do it in a smart way. And, and the secret, you're not going to like the secret. A lot of times, it's just a lot of hard work. <laughs> it's getting multiple jobs. It's, it, it's doing what you got to do. It's uh, keeping your grades up to get scholarships and all that. But chip away at your debt right now. A few things you can do to close this door, uh, the whole I'll, I can afford it later so I'll buy it now attitude. Pay, things, uh, pay for things with cash. You'll spend about 30 to 40 percent less on something if you pay for it with cash. If, if, if it's coming right out, of your, right out of your budget, right out of your pocket, you'll pay less for things. Uh, also, impulse spending. Uh, Eighty percent of large purchases are done on impulse. People just on a whim, I'm just going to buy something. Uh, anyone ever heard of the website Woot.com? Okay, now that you have heard about the website Woot.com, uh, your life is ruined. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it is a website that I came across a little bit ago. It's this website. I never knew how much stuff I needed until I saw this website. I mean, there's it, one item a day. Don't go to it. Don't, don't even start. But uh, there's one item a day that is, it's usually like a technology type gadget or whatever, and uh, it's very cheap, okay? It's like one item, extremely cheap. You can get like, I mean, I never knew I needed a wireless router until I saw one. I, I already have one, but it's $20. I can't pass up on this opportunity. I need that little camera that's the size of a toothpick or whatever. You know, you need these little things. And uh, a lot of times people buy things on impulse because it's just, it's this, this, this lack of self-control often. I'll talk about that in just a little bit, but the, I can afford it later, so I'll buy it now attitude. Second attitude is this, if they have it, then I can have it. It's the cliche, keeping up with the Joneses. If they have it, then I can have it. Too many people, I'm just telling you, you look across the street to see what you can afford, then into your own budget, into your own pocketbook, okay? And, and some people are much better at this than others. They're not affected. They don't care what anyone else has. They're going to run their own race. But there's many people that that's very difficult to do because you see somebody that has something and you're like, I think I probably make as much as that person does and they have it. So I bet you I can afford that too. They drive that car, so I can afford that car. Everyone, everyone has a boat. You know, I, I can have a boat too. It's, it's keeping up with the Joneses. It's looking across the street to see what you can afford rather than looking at your budget. And this can be, uh, honestly, I'll just be honest with you, this can be a big trap for me sometimes, um, especially when um, you look at somebody who's a little bit older and you see the level that they're able to live at. And uh, both of my siblings are older than I am. Amanda has four older sisters. Um, as a couple of them are much older than she is. And it's, it's easy to look at their standard of living and look at their lifestyle and say, hmm, why I can afford that too. I mean, they're doing it so can I. A lot of the people in my sphere of influence are, are a lot of times older than me, and so it's easy for me to look up and say, uh, man, I bet you I could afford that too. And the thing I have to keep reminding myself is, Ryan, you have to run your own race. You can't, be effect you can't try to run somebody else's race for them. You don't know what their financial situation is. Somebody that looks like they have it all together, they might be up to here in debt for all you know. I'm just telling you, you need to run your own race. Don't try to keep up with everyone else, it, it can be a huge trap. Proverbs 25, 28, I love what it says here about uh, self-control. It says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. See, self-control, when it comes to, you know, we talked about impulse spending and trying to just keep up with everyone else, it's not that you just lack control of your life. 
It's that you've actually given control to somebody else. This, this verse, I love this analogy of, of somebody, imagine that you're the commander of a city and your enemies are coming in, breaking down the walls and, and taking over the city. It's not just that you have to give up control of that city anymore. It's that you are now a servant to your enemy. Your enemy comes in and rules the city and you are now a servant to that city. It's that whole verse in Proverbs 22, 7, that the borrower is subject, is slave, is servant, whatever word you want to use, to the lender. That's what self-control is. It's giving, it's not allowing somebody else to have control of your life. It's the, if they have it, then I can have it. Attitude. And the last attitude that leads to opening the door to that is someone will bail me out. Someone will bail me out. When I was a uh, I was three or four years old. Uh, my brother, uh, my brother is four years older than me, and my, my sister, well, they still are four years older than me. I didn't catch up to them. Uh, they're four years older than me. My sister is two years older than me, and my brother, so he's like seven or eight, and uh, he's in our, we had a little playroom in our basement, and he takes a permanent marker and writes a little line on the wall, and immediately was like, mm, that probably was not a good idea, but, you know, just quick thinking, little seven, eight-year-old, how, how they think, is he, my sister's name is Lisa, so he has this little line going, he's like, I already got the L started, I'm just going to write Lisa across the wall, and obviously my parents will be like, well, Lisa wrote it, Who, why would Jeff write Lisa's name, you know, it's just this, this illogical thinking, but he writes Lisa on the wall, so my mom sees this, and, and she lines, she kind of has an idea of who did it, he wrote it in cursive, my sister can't even write in cursive, but anyway, uh, <laughs> My sister, uh, he line, my mom lines up me, my sister, and my brother in a straight line. I don't know if your parents ever do this, but, or ever did this. Hopefully they still don't. But uh, they line me up like, like that and say, okay, I want to know who did it. And I'm just like, I don't even know what's going on. I can't even spell. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I just want to eat fun fruits and go outside. This, I don't even know what's going on. Uh, my sister's just sitting there, you know, like, I don't, you know, whatever. My brother's not saying a word. And finally, my mom's like, okay. And if you've ever heard this classic line, it's a classic parenting line that you can use. Well, if, if nobody admits to it, I'm going to have to punish all of you. And so uh, my mom, uh, you know, throws that out there, hoping that my, bro my brother will break down and just kind of own up to it. Well, he does not. And my sister begins crying and admits to it. And my brother's sitting there like, Psh, this is awesome. You know, like, like, I can't believe this. And so my sister owns up to it, admits to it, is crying. Yeah, I did it. And Lisa, you can't write in cursive. Well, I don't, you know, she's crying and, and whatever. Long story short, ended up coming out that my brother, you know, she got my brother to confess to it or whatever. But we would love that idea if we did something, we got our, my, you got yourself into a certain situation and somebody just comes along and saves the day and, and, and completely bails you out of that situation. That's what I, I think a lot of people are just, especially in that first boat of people that I talked about, uh, that you're just waiting, hoping something will happen, that Visa will have a computer glitch and wipe away your credit card debt or something, uh, you know, something crazy will happen and, and, and you'll just get bailed out and it's going to be all good. A lot of uh, younger, uh, you know, in, in their 20s, uh, younger people will often, you know, even look to their parents thinking, well, if I get into a mess, my parents can help me out of it and write the check and, and, and help me out of this. Uh, maybe, maybe the government, and don't worry, I'm not going to get political on you today, but maybe the government can help me out with this, and uh, I messed up. Maybe they can help me write the check or whatever. Or there's even Christ followers who will say, maybe, maybe God can just bail me out of this situation. 
And let me tell you, first of all, God can bail you out of the situation. He can completely, if you wanted to erase your debt like that, he can. But in scripture, you don't see that a whole lot. Even, even the miracles that happened, uh, that Jesus performed in the New Testament, uh, what did it take? It took their faith. They, they, they lent their faith and God responded to that. Jesus responded to that and performed a miracle. It's not just a matter of snapping your fingers and, and it's all taken care of. Uh, because I don't know if that, honestly, God looks at that and he says, well, what faith are you having to help out of this situation? Uh, what, give me a reason why I should do this. Because in, in Luke 16.10, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I believe God's looking at it, and this verse is about money, and saying, well, you kind of messed up with what I gave you to begin with. You know, why, why should I give you more? Why should I just erase that debt and give you more? Because I feel like maybe you're just going to go right back into that same exact trap. It's the someone will bail me out attitude. And we'll talk about the flip side of that in just a minute. So how do I close the door on debt? Ryan, I know you've just beat me up for 10, 15 minutes. I know I have debt. And yeah, all those things you're talking about, yes, those are things that are problems in my life. But how do I close the door to debt? I want to give you a few things today to do that. The first thing is this, make a plan. Make a plan. You know, I believe there's people in this room that, and I hear, I hear stories from time to time, and I've been this way myself uh, at times, is that you're driving like a car without a gas gauge. It, it's like you're just kind of feeling it out. Like, I, I feel like I might have enough gas to get me to, from A to B. I'm not quite sure, but I have, I have full confidence. And I don't know if you've ever been in like high school and you have no money for gas and you're just like literally on fumes the entire way home hoping that it just rolls into the driveway. Some of you are like, you don't even know where your finances are at. You don't even open your bank statements anymore because you're just depressed by the situation. You don't even know uh, what you owe, what you own. You don't know your assets, liabilities. You don't know any of this stuff because you're just, you're driving a car without a gas gauge. And the first thing I would tell you is you need to make a plan. And uh, you, you could research, you could probably Google it and find multiple plans on, uh, on debt, consoli- you know, uh, debt settlement and uh, debt repayment or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you could find multiple plans on it. And so I'm not going to give you a specific, like, just do this and everything's going to be hunky-dory, okay, or whatever. Uh, I just used the phrase hunky-dory. That's awesome. But uh, I don't think I've ever said that before. Uh, but everything's going to be okay. And, uh, but I'm not going to give you just, just stick to this plan and everything will be okay because there's so many different levels of complexity to your financial situation and it's going to be different for everyone, different personalities. But I want to give you a few components real quick. They're not in your notes, but if you want to write them down, a uh, few components to a good plan. The first one is this, act now. Act now. It's just real simple. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till the next day. Don't wait till next week. I'm just telling you, while it's fresh in your head, act now. Make a choice once and for all that you're going to do something about it now. Secondly, uh, list everything that you own. Maybe you even get two pieces of paper. List everything that you own and everything that you owe. And this is a, this is a big part of, of this whole scheme of things because there, I, I believe there's many people that don't even know where their, their financial situation is at. They don't even know how much their debt is. Sometimes this is, a, this is a good thing. Sometimes this is a bad thing. Sometimes you owe more than you thought. Sometimes you owe less than you thought, but you need to know where you're at. And this might be painful for you. You're like, this might open a wound and pour salt in it, but you need to figure out where you're at 
list out everything that you own and owe. Uh, another component to a good sale, you might not like this part, but some of you, you might have to have a sale. You know, you might have to actually sell something. Uh, some of you, you have something that you really can't afford to have, and, and you need to sell it. Uh, I remember a time where I, I really wanted a new TV. This goes all, all the way back to this whole impulse spending. I was, I was this close to just, um, just getting a new TV, just buying it or whatever. I didn't have the money for it. I was going to do one of those like repayment plans, no interest for a year type of things. It was very tempting. I was like, come on. I, you know, we moved to this place that it had a perfect cutout above the fireplace. I'm like, I have, you can't just not have something, right? That would be ridiculous to put a little tube TV up there or whatever. And I'm like, come on, man. Let's just, you know, and I had this impulse spending type of thing, but I didn't have the money for it. I, it just, I had not thought about it until that moment, had not been saving for it, you know, I had not been putting money away for it, and it just wasn't, it wasn't there. I mean, I didn't have designated money for that item. I had to sell, this breaks my heart to this day, I had to sell my moped. I mean, some of you think that that's really nerdy. No, it was cool, and it was smoking hot, and it was an awesome moped. I looked good on it. It went 30 miles per hour. And uh, it was awesome. But I had to sell my moped, and I was able to, you know, buy the TV or whatever. But some of you, you might need to sell something, you know. You might not want to, but you didn't realize that when you bought that boat, there'd be all the upkeep and, and taxes and insurance and license registration, all of that. Uh, maybe, maybe you need to sell something. Have a sale. It's part of having a good plan. Have a repayment plan, and you might need to consult somebody about this, uh, but actually aggressively repaying your debt, a strategy to repay your debt. Uh, don't have any new debt while you're trying to pay off your old debt. Make sure you don't have any new debt. I know that's, that sounds so simple, uh, but many people, they're trying to repay their debt, but they, they keep adding to it, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the last thing is this. Let your creditors know. Maybe you, you owe multiple people money. Let them know that you have a plan to pay them back. Maybe, maybe um, I'll just tell you, on the back of your credit card, there's a little 1-800 number. Nine times out of ten, they'll actually lower your interest rate if you just ask. Just say, here's the deal. I'm paying off my debt. This is what I'm going through. Uh, a lot of times, they, they want to see their money. They don't want you to go to bankruptcy so they don't see their money again. They want to see uh, you pay it back. They might even work with you on some things. They might, um, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to eliminate your debt or anything like that, but they might lower your payment, may, lower your monthly payment. They might help you. Just let your creditors know that that's what you're doing. It also holds you accountable. But that's, those are just some things that are, that are part of a good plan. That's not, that's not uh, the all and be all, but those are some things that definitely can help. Make a plan and stick to it. The second thing is this, do it God's way. Do it God's way. And I'll talk about what that means, but there's a lot of Christ followers that, uh, you know, even I talk to on occasion that uh, this is very difficult. It's very difficult to honor God with your finances. And a lot of times, um, uh, somebody can trust God with their heart and, and, and give their life to Him. And I, I really believe that that's an honest, uh, you know, I've given my life to Christ. But the, one of the last things to come is trusting God with your finances. It's, it's like the last hurdle before you fully surrender to God. You've walked through that door and, and, and everything, and that is, that is fantastic. But that, that issue of trusting God with your finances is often the last thing that somebody really, you know, they're like, ah, I just don't, I'm a little skeptical about that. Let me tell you about just a real simple plan 
This isn't anything extremely profound, but I'm just telling you that it works. If I, I have $10 right here, 10 $1 bills. Actually, I'm missing two. To somebody, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, 10 $1 bills. If this is what I make over the course of a week, the Bible says that the first dollar, 10%, your tithe goes to God. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, if you have your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screens. It says this, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. The Bible says that that first $10, that, that 10%, excuse me, that first 10%, goes to God. And I'm just telling you, we'll talk about this again in just, just a second right at the end here, but uh, there's people that that's, that's a very, mm, I don't know about that, Ryan. I, I like, kind of like the, like the New Testament approach. I don't know about that. That's kind of an Old Testament deal. Well, the New Testament says, let's all pool our money together, bring 100% of it, and then we'll just give it out as needed. I don't know if you want that, okay? I think the Old Testament, the, the, the Old Testament way might be a little bit more appealing to you. But it's, it's how God designed it. In this verse, it's very interesting. It talks about that the whole nation is under a curse because they've been robbing God of your tithes. This is just a thought, just a suggestion. There might be some of you that you are under that curse of debt because you have not honored God with your finances. Now, I'll just leave it at that, but honor God with your, your first 10%. The second dollar, so I have $9 left. The second dollar goes to savings. The second dollar to savings. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. You know, there's, uh, even nature understands this concept of saving up for a, a quote-unquote rainy day. Uh, saving up for a time where you're going to need it. Savings. Put another 10% in savings. And then that other $8, I've heard... Um, Many different theories on what you can do with the other $8. There's, an, there's some people that say you take the other, another dollar and put it towards debt if you have debt, which might be, for some of you, that might be the thing to do. Put it towards investment if you don't have debt. Uh, but the other $8 is, is yours. It's yours to choose with. It's ultimately God, but it's God giving you, and he's asking you to steward the $8 to do with it, to, to pay your bills, to live within your means. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, there's a lot of liberty, there's a lot of freedom to be able to live your life like this. Uh, there's some people that they, they, they uh, have a mess of a financial situation, and so they don't even really uh, try, to, try to mess with all of this. They just don't try to spend anything, okay? And they're tighter than bark on a tree, and they, they just, I, ah, man, I better just see if these socks can last another year, and I better just you know, drive it into the ground and whatever. And they just they get so scared that they just don't buy anything ever, and, and they just live with this, this bondage that, in their life. And I just want to tell you, if you would just do it this way, it's going to be a whole lot easier. You're going to know, okay, I got $8. Here's, you know, maybe a three of them go to my mortgage, maybe another one goes to this or that or whatever, uh, whatever bills you have. But I can, I can do with it what I please. I, I mean, I want to be a good steward of it, but I don't have to feel like I just can't spend anything ever. I'm just telling you, it's very liberating to be able to live your life the way God has, has designed it 
to be. And these are concepts that you'll find in any secular uh, book, uh, except for the tithe thing, but they will give you, they will tell you, okay, this goes to this, this percentage goes to this, this goes to that, this goes to that. You take this and do that, and there's these, all these percentages. That's how they come up with uh, mortgage payments and all that. Uh, but God's saying, okay, I already have that all instructed right in here. Just if you will simply honor me with the first 10%, put some in savings, steward the rest of it, man, I'm going to bless that. I'm going to make that work. Do it God's way. And the last thing is this, as we wrap up, Simply trust God. Trust God. I've kind of alluded to it, but, uh, but when it comes down to it, you're either going to trust God or you're going to trust yourself. You're either going to trust God's master plan or you're going to trust your own intellect, your own ability, your own uh, you know, income instead of God. You can't serve both. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You'll love one, despise the other. You have to trust God with your finances. And that's a choice that you have to make. Everyone in this room, you have, to, you have to make that choice. Am I going to trust God with my finances or am I not going to trust God with my finances? And I love this verse in Galatians 6, 9. It says, don't get tired in doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up. We will reap a harvest of blessings at the appropriate time. For some of you, this is going to be a very difficult process um, to, to truly trust and honor God with your finances but then to make a plan, to stick to it, to see it to completion, uh, it's going to be very difficult, but not impossible. And what God, uh, what's, in, what's impossible for man is possible for God. I want to tell you uh, that I believe there's people in this room, you have, you, you know, you're looking just through a pile of debt and you can't see till tomorrow because you're just, you know, bogged down by this. God is so much bigger than that and he wants to, he wants to live, allow you to live in the freedom that he has. So today, will you trust God or will you trust yourself? And real quick, on the back of your communication card, I just want to challenge you in a couple of ways today. Probably you might have even looked at this that Kevin talked about earlier, but under the, the green portion, the, the, the part that says next steps, there's a couple of things that you can do today. If First of all, you might be that person that you're like, man, I got, I got, some, I got a mess of a financial situation. I would challenge you to allow somebody else to help you, okay? Um, it's kind of, the, it's the whole concept. You ever driven through a big city before? Um, it's a little intimidating because you're just trying to keep the car on the road. You got kids in the back and they're, you know, throwing things around or whatever. And uh, you're just driving, trying to keep it between the ditches, trying to just, you know, not crash and just kind of get through the city. You're not able to look at, you know, the skyscrapers or the, you know, monuments or whatever you're driving through. You're not able to look at any of that. You're just, you know, tunnel vision. You might need somebody else that's able to point some things out to you along the way, to point out your blind spots, uh, because you're going so fast that you just can't even see straight. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, um, there's a spot on here that, said, that you can check that says, I would like to sign up for the financial peace class. Uh, it's Dave Ramsey material. If you don't know Dave Ramsey, he's just, uh, he talks a lot about biblically stewarding the money that you have. Very credible. He's, he's, he's not only in the church world, but in, in the business world, very well uh, regarded and respected. Uh, but I'm telling you, this class is, is not going to just completely <laughs> solve your problems, but it's going to give you a starting point. It's going to give you a place, uh, at least some direction. You know, you're, you're, you're running and you're trying to figure out if I'm going in the right direction. That's what this course 
is designed to do. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that. Um, we'll get you information. You might be like, I got to check my schedule. This doesn't commit you to it. But if you're at least interested, if you check the box, uh, we'll follow up with you. And then there's a, a second box here that says, I'm committing to the 90-day tithe challenge. We'll talk more about this next week too, but um, what's the 90-day tithe challenge? You know, what is that all about? Today, um, in Scripture, as we just read in, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in this. With this one dollar, with that first dollar, God is saying, test me in this. Just, it's almost like taunting, like bring it on. See if I will not hold up my end of the deal. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have enough room for it. See if my promises aren't true. I dare you to just test me. And so on this card, uh, some of you, if you just like to give it a try and just test it, see if it does not work. We've, we've done this several times. We've never actually had somebody uh, that it doesn't work. Uh, but I'm just challenging you, check the box on the card, write 90-day tithe challenge on, on the back of your, um, uh, on your tithe envelope. And for the next 90 days, at the end of 90 days, if you're like, this doesn't work for me or whatever, I want a refund, we will write you a check. I'm just telling you, the, the Bible says it, so we're going we're gonna to live it out, we're going to practice it. Uh, now, I will tell you that the other 90%, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that you have to steward that well. Uh, for that actually to, you know, that's, that's how God, God designed it, this whole 10, 10, 80 type principle. But I challenge you in that. Uh, if you just like to give it a whirl, just mark that box. We'll follow up with you, give you a little bit of encouragement, show you kind of how to do that. Um, but I'd challenge you in those two ways. Again, God is so much bigger than your debts. God, is so, God cares so much about your financial situation, more than you will ever know. And today, would you simply make a decision that you're going to close the door on debt once and for all? Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you.